Welcome to Managing Marketing, and today I'm sitting down with Priya Patel, who's the Managing Director at Doyle, Dane & Burnpark in Sydney. Welcome, Priya. Hello, thank you for having me. Well, thank you for inviting me into your uh, agency. You're more than welcome. It's like nice to explore different nooks and crannies. In fact, I don't think I've been in this room yet, which is a bit ridiculous. Well, it's <laughs> probably a function of a, a big agency. Yes. Uh, but also interesting that Doyle, Dane & Burnbach, as you know, I remember I joined the industry last century yeah. and it was DDB then. Yeah. It's gone back to the original name. Why? Yeah. Um, we recently had our global conference actually in Miami and Wendy Clark, who obviously is our global CEO, um, was very clear, and I think we all really stand by this, that we are an advertising business. And so actually returning to our roots and kind of what we were founded to deliver, which is brilliant creativity that can transform business, felt like a really comfortable place for us to go back to. And actually in a world where everyone's trying to be a bloody management consultancy or, you know, something or a data-driven company, actually being able to go, well, what we do is communications. We find really innovative, creative ways to talk to people about products to help sell more of them. And I think that kind of return to that um, heritage, that pride actually, that confidence that what we do has value is all part of that return to the name and kind of, you know, reinvesting back in the brand. And I think in a world where everyone's merging as well, you look around like uh, WPP's strategy appears to be to just collide all these big shops <laughs> Wonderman Thompson together. and VML Wiener. Exactly, and create these hybrids. And I'm not saying that that model isn't right. I think actually with the scale of WPP, it probably is right because they have so many, they have almost an oversurplus of agencies in their own portfolio. But I think if you look at the way Omnicom manage their businesses, it is slightly different and there are fewer in the stable. And I think the DDB one is very confidently and firmly an advertising business. And I think that's so, kind of interesting. Yeah, so you know, in a way, the height of the Mad Men era mm. was Doyle, Dane and Burnbach mm. on Madison Avenue doing amazing work for Volkswagen, you know, the famous Lemon campaign, yeah. as, along with a lot of other major clients I guess you have to be careful what you take forward with that yeah don't you yeah look I think there is this the legacy thing that you fight with that is this perception that everyone is just drunk and at lunch right? like, <laughs> another, this, another martini this, exactly this is this kind of absolute perception that if you look backwards and you talk about advertising models you're a not engaged with new technology or kind of new channels or that you're basically at lunch and you're getting hammered but I, I don't think that those are the attributes that you're taking forward I think the bits that you're taking forward are these really innovative creative brilliant ways of talking about product that surprise and delight consumers like I think that's the bit that we're trying to pull out not um, whiskey at breakfast <laughs> although it's quite or a, bo a bottle of whiskey in the uh, bottom drawer of the filing cabinet for that nip after morning tea well, exactly. or whatever but um, you know uh, uh, Bill Burnback mm provided huge amounts of quotable quotes yes. that are just as relevant today as they were back then. Absolutely. Is that part of the sort of focus here, is, is getting back to what is it that actually drives businesses and what's the role of 
advertising and creativity in doing that. Yeah, I definitely think so. I think, I mean, we, we I'd say Bill Birnbach is never knowingly underquoted here. <laughs> like he is wheeled out on an almost daily basis. Because actually, as you say, what he says is so profoundly still true about the nature of human beings and their unchanging nature. And therefore the way in which you talk to people or communicate with people remains eternally fixed you know in a way the channels with which you might approach them or get to them are different but the types of conversation the things that people care about don't change so this idea of unchanging man is really at the heart of a lot of what we're thinking about here at ddb and how you connect on that emotional not just rational basis um, and i think that actually then again ties into what great creativity might look like or be because if it's about unlocking a more emotional part of your brain, not just a rational part of your brain, it mm. kind of changes, I think, a little bit the type of creativity you do. Now, you've been here at uh, Doyle, Dane and Burnback, I love saying that, <laughs> Sydney, yeah. for almost a year Yes. as managing director. Yes. But this is not your first managing director role, is it? No, it is not. No. <laughs> <laughs> so before that, you were at, uh, well, not immediately before, but previously you've yeah. been managing director at Y&R in London. Mm hmm which is a WPP agency. It is, yes. Which is now called VML Wine. It is, yes, indeed. But what was it called then? It was called Rainy Kelly Campbell Rolfe <laughs> slash YNR. So I used to call it Arca Rainy Kelly, yeah. Rainy's, RKCR. So many acronyms. Isn't, isn't it great how agencies that talk about branding create such distorted brands by putting everyone's name on the wall? Yes, absolutely. Or on the door? Absolutely. So it was Rainey's back in my day. So right. Rainey Kelly. Which a very well credentialed and high profile agency, wasn't yeah. it? Yes. Did some great work. I think the DNA actually is quite similar to here. Big. UK high street brands, you know, it was Land Rover, Marks and Spencers, Lloyds, Virgin. They were the big brands I worked on at the time. So we had a Virgin Atlantic, Virgin Media, Virgin Mobile. But while Y&R was a US brand originally, like mm. DDB, I'll shorten it now. Yeah. Um, uh, Rainey's was very much a London agency culture, wasn't it? Yes, definitely. And I think it was... I think, again, one of the reasons I stayed for so long in that network is because they treated each of the shops as a boutique local shop, if that made sense. Mm -hmm. So they were a network almost of boutique local shops. So you had a London culture, you had a Prague culture, you had a you know, Dusseldorf culture, and each one brought something up to the Y&R network, but they also did something on the ground and locally that felt really relevant. and Which is important, isn't it? It because, is. Because, you know, advertising at its best is ground in cultural nuance or understanding yeah. as a way of communicating. Definitely. I think the reason those brands were so successful was because they did very much tap into the, the British psyche. You know, Marks & Spencer's was the high street, the British high street brought to life. Yeah. Uh, Lloyd's is a very British bank, you know. They, all of those uh, brands definitely played in that and leveraged that British space and the cultural insights around being in in Britain at the time. So you fly as managing director of Rainey's Wine mm. halfway around the world to the uh, the Antipodes. Yes. The the where the convicts hang out. Yes. And you've ended up in the uh, as the managing director here at DDB. Yeah. What for you are the biggest differences and what are the similarities? Let's start with the differences. Yeah, so uh, from an advertising yeah, perspective, sure. not, you know, not the weather's <laughs> nicer because that's a bit dull. But you know, from, yeah, a, from as a managing director of 
a major network agency. Yeah. Because it's quite different, isn't it? Um, network agencies compared to, say, small independents. I think, look, there's always the the... the the responsibility further up the chain that kind of you, you can never escape when you're part of a network. You know, you are reporting quarterly in terms of everything, in terms of your people news, in terms of your new business news, in terms of your P&L. And I think that is very different to a smaller agency. I think, in, or an independent, sorry. Mm. Um, I suppose for me, the difference is, well, maybe about just the weightings of each of the departments. That was the one thing I sort of really noticed the most was, um, I suppose in the UK it felt very evenly balanced. You'd have strategy, you'd have account handling, and you'd have planning. And they were broadly, you know, 30, 30, 30. It was kind of like each of those departments had a good load of people in them. Whereas I found that here the strategy departments are much smaller. You know, we've got a big one and we've got 10 people. Mm. And that's considered a big planning department. But uh, London especially was considered the home of strategy planning, wasn't it? Yes, but I, you know, I personally That's, Which is it's... why you've got the three, they used to call it the three legs of the stool. The three legs of the stool, exactly. I suppose I do believe in the three legs of the stool. I think that if you don't have that sort of group of people who each can bring a slightly different component to the mix, you, the stool does tip over. So I love strategists. I love working with people who actually try and interrogate the business problem and really try and understand the client business problem and find solutions to that. And I think when you don't have that bit, that's when actually your position gets devalued because you just become these sort of fluffy people that come in on top and do some you know nice shiny things but you're not actually understanding the commercial imperative or the audience imperative or you know really smart thinking that can unlock a brand and I think if you don't start from there you put a lot of weight of responsibility on the creative department actually to solve both the business and the brand problem so I really really value strategy and I think it's a massively important component of what we do I think great suiting obviously it should be more than, uh, once again, lunches and martinis. No, but, but... Uh, let, let me ask you a question. Is it account service or account management? Mm, I suppose I, f- I use the two interchangeably, and maybe I should be clear in the distinction. I think there is an element of management that I prefer, which I think service sets this weird kind of um, servile position, if I'm honest. Exactly. And I think what we're in the business of doing Sorry, is, it was a trick question. It was a trick question, fair <laughs> no, enough, and the, yeah. And, and the reason is that I, know, I get a big insight into an agency's culture yeah. when the CEO MD takes me for the walk around the agency and goes, yeah. you know, this is our creative department, here's our production people, oh, there's strategy over there, and here's our account service team. Yes. And I go, all right, so you're here to service the client. Yes, yeah. Whereas I I think it's much more important to have a group of business professionals that manage the client's business. Yes for the agency and for the client. 100%. So ours are called business it's business management is what we call our department. Um, and I think that's exactly what they do. They So where's suiting come from? What because you use this term yeah, suiting. I suppose that's my old school DDB like back in the day training I was like I suppose I also use it jokingly and maybe that erodes the value of what we do but you know the idea of suiting is that you are kind of that sort of handler of things the circus controller the manager of everything Um, look and and, and I'm not saying you're wrong I'm I'm just really interested because you know I go back to the time that I was a creative and our biggest put down was calling someone an empty suit yes 
yeah. you know, the, the, the hollow suit that was literally the bag carrier. That <laughs> the would bag go, carrier, I think, is yeah, worse. <laughs> yeah, it would go back and forwards. But, well, that's all the empty suit could do was sit there and uh, resonate with the criticisms from the client back yeah. into the creative department. I suppose the reason I'm not allergic to suiting is because I do think it adds a level of professionalism that I think sometimes advertising is guilty of not being considered to have. So, yes, I think that, that kind of... Maybe that's why I jokingly use it as well. It's like the professional veneer, the actual management, the people skills, the kind of management of money and responsible for like large volumes of money and kind of doing that in a very professional way. It's mm. quite. But you're right, an empty suit is probably the crappiest, <laughs> the crappiest thing that you can be in the industry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I was, I was just interested because you know I think um, language is so important. Mm -hmm. you know, the way we communicate on behalf of our clients with the consumer is uh, all based on language. Yep. And uh, that it's really interesting the way we describe the way the industry works. Yeah. yeah. I so, but I do, cut yeah. you off. No, you were no. talking about uh, the suiting and, yes. and then creative. And if you don't yes. have strategy, yes. I often see then quite a lot can be tension between... Uh, account management and creative. Yeah, I suppose. I feel like I've walked into an agency where there was maybe a tiny bit of that rub, where as you as you say, you kind of go, the creative people are the ones who come up with all the ideas and they do all of the hard work, and then the bag carrier enters and kind of just says the client says X Y Z. Um, and I think a large part of what we've been trying to do is make everyone work much more seamlessly together and kind of make it collaborative I suppose that everyone can be responsible for helping crack the business problem and it doesn't matter what department you're in you can add value to that creative process from you know as a business manager as a creative person as a strategist coming together you're more likely to answer or fix or solve for what that client needs or wants because you all bring a different bit of knowledge or a different piece of the puzzle to to make it better so I am um, I think working more closely with creative, making it much more informal. So mm -hmm. I suppose the one thing I was used to in the UK is I'd regularly pop into a creative's office and just have a chat with them about where they were at with a brief or what they were stuck on. They'd always actually bounce ideas off me before even going to see their CD because they're kind of like, is this the right thing? Have we actually got the brief right? Like, And I'm used to that absolute closeness of relationship, like a kind of... Yeah. Well, that's the best way to encourage collaboration yeah. is by breaking down those walls and the, the silos. Yes. And people just, you know, talking to each other. Yes. It's an amazing innovation, I know, isn't it? I know. And I think some of the formality around reviewing, which mm. I suppose I felt was just a little bit odd where creatives were presenting to business management. And I'm kind of like, it shouldn't feel like another client presentation before the client presentation. It should be a bunch of stuff stuck on a wall and a good suit or a good business manager would be able to walk into that room and add value to the ideas, build on the ideas, not their job to say yes or no, not their job to say you can't present this. And I think some of those kind of just, as you say, language, the way you speak to people, the way you encourage and build creativity is about, you know, you don't get to say no to anything in this room. You get to say, oh, we could make this better by doing this. Or have you thought about this? Or maybe we could do this. And you should be a source of inspiration, I think, as a business manager for creatives, not another roadblock, not a set of problems, basically. Yeah, I had a, a, um, a winemaker friend, Brian Fletcher, and uh, you know, he's one 
numerous uh, medals for wines that he's made. Mm. But he always said when he was making a wine, he'd take it up to the office and get the women in the office to try the wine and get their feedback. Because he said, ultimately, they're the end consumer. Yeah. And so he was wanting to know what they thought. I mean, he could make any wine he liked. Yes. But to get that feedback, and I think sometimes that, you know, sure, there's there's research, but I don't think we should always research um, creative ideas. Yeah. I I think research is great for the informing us about what people think now. Mm Mm-hmm. But I, I also think agencies would have a lot going for them if they were willing to be more open to having inputs from lots of different... Mm. Yeah, that's an interesting point, isn't it? Which is you sort of get to this cul-de-sac, don't you, where you're in you're testing ideas to decide which one is right mm. um, and you're sort of relying on eight random strangers in a room to tell you something that they can't imagine because they don't work in the industry, they don't have that visual imagination, the stimulus is always sort of... Vaguely inadequate, and one of them says, "So is it going to be a cartoon? Yeah, because well, it's a hand rendered exactly. animatic." Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think finding a better model, but again, I think this is where it all comes down to brilliant business management. Make a client feel listened to, involved, part of the process. They structure it so that it is entirely a collaboration. I think that's the other thing. Like, um, I think creatives and clients should meet and speak to each other regularly. There shouldn't be this weird relay race where. I get handed a piece of work and I go present it to the client and they feed back and I hand it back. Like, we need to create an environment where everybody just gets in a room and has a chat and goes, okay, what do I think? What do you think? Why is it right or wrong? Or what's the problems Mm. in it? I used to um, uh, object to being... uh positioned as a copywriter as oh we'll bring the creatives in as if we're the sideshow to be brought into the meet uh, into the meeting with the client but i think you should but i i personally believe they should be in there leading helping the discussion like it shouldn't really be a sideshow it should be Mm. a a team of people a strategist a creative and a a business manager going this is what we think your business needs this is Mm. why it's commercially right and viable and this is who we should be talking to this is why we think it's right for you and brand fit and this is the idea and this is why we think it's great like i think that's a collective conversation not a sort of wheel you in because i don't know and actually i don't even think that necessarily there are fixed roles. So I love presenting strategy. I actually love reading scripts and presenting ideas. Like, mm. you know, as I was trained at DDB, I did my grad scheme at DDB basically in London way back when. Oh, so um, you're a return I'm visitor. a return, yeah, mm. I'm a return, I'm a boomerang. Um, you learn presentation skills. You learn how to try and persuade somebody about something they can't imagine mm. or see yet. Bring it to life. Bring it to life. Mm. And I don't think that's the sole responsibility of creative. So again, that's why I go, everybody has to be in it together to kind of, mm. if you know your client, you also know what's going to persuade them, what kind of stuff they like, what they can imagine in their mm. heads or their capability is. And you can help therefore get things over the line by you know with that knowledge now just pray i just want to go back sure. to something you mentioned earlier which was the role of strategy in london mm. is really to help almost frame or give context to the business problem yeah from a business perspective yeah and then allow the account management team and creatives to then leap off that platform to create the communication solution Okay. Mm -hmm. Do you think that without that framing or that platform is one of the reasons that often 
the in the business world sees advertising as the colouring in department and even the marketing department as the colouring in department yeah, because definitely. they only ever see the creative part the sort of show yeah. rather than all of the deep thinking that goes behind it. Yeah. I'm a massive massive believer in trying to prove the impact of creativity on business if we can't show a bottom line or an ROI result, then it's almost like the colouring in department. And I think strategists can help you do that. They can help measure the tangible impact of what we do on the bottom line, both short term and long term. So, you know, we wholeheartedly, Les Burnett is part of our stable. Uh, again, as a grad, he was running this weird econometrics unit when I started at DDB. And his work you know, to demonstrate across multiple brands, across multiple categories, what creativity can bring to the bottom line is, I think, vital. And I think unless you can talk to clients about that and kind of start there, your starting point of creativity adds value, you're kind of nowhere. You are always the colouring in department. Marketing is always the colouring in department. And I suppose when I look at our clients, we're so, we're so lucky. We have a seat at the CEO table. We have a voice with Brian Hartzer, with Andrew Gregory, like they are open and recognize the value of marketing and creative communications. So you kind of, you've got that buy-in from that very, the most senior person. Well, Brian has a marketing background. Yes, that's So that's, that's a real strength. Yes. I mean, I think more CEOs should either ha come from marketing or they should at least have a deep understanding of the opportunity. Yeah. Well, I think you're right. I think if you can, and I think the way to unlock that conversation is to talk about the business, the commercials. Mm. So it's not just about, oh, it'd be nice if you had a strong brand. It's almost when you have a strong brand, when you are a creative force, you can drive X, Y, Z results onto your, onto your business. Mm. And you can almost defend that to shareholders, to whoever you need to. And I think that all comes back down to, again, the measurement system or the tracking system for that so that you can actually show a result. And I think that's been one of the challenges with advertising or creative comms is like, how do you actually measure the impact on a piece of business? And then how do you price and value that impact on the business? Because I suppose sometimes you can create something that's gonna make that company trillions and billions. And sometimes you might create a dud, like a complete non-starter. So how do you price it, value it, give it a, a business, a commercial impact is, I think, a massive challenge that we've had as, a, as an industry. See, it's interesting because I'm sitting here listening to you thinking 15 years ago, we started talking to both clients, marketers mm. and agencies mm. about the need to move agency remuneration fees mm -hmm. to a performance-based model. Mm -hmm. The trouble is that both marketers and agencies really still struggle today mm -hmm with the measurement of performance. Mm -hmm. Because I think there's two parts to it, and, and this is coming up in the um, mm. uh, the conversation around the work from Field and Binet, yeah. of short and long-term mm -hmm. performance. Because mm -hmm. you know, if we only measure short-term, mm -hmm. it's all about sales. Yep. You know, it's all about what sales did we get this month? Yeah. And yet the real value is not just delivering the short-term sales, but it's actually filling that funnel for the next two or three years Absolutely. so that you get the audience, the potential customer, 
putting you on the consideration list. Yep. So when the time comes, yep. you get that sale. Absolutely. It's still a conundrum that the market's really dealing with. Yes. Well, I suppose that's why I do come back to this sense that I'm not sure that hours-based pricing is broken or wrong. So I do always compare us uh, to lawyers and consultancies in different ways. So charging by the hour for a specialist service, I'm not sure is a broken model. If you look at the way lawyers work or consultancies work, you can't actually guarantee their outcome either. You don't know when you secure a lawyer whether you're actually going to win in court. You don't know when you pay a consultancy for a cost-saving exercise if you're definitely going to get a business model that functions at the end of it. In the same way, when you pay an advertising specialist or a communication specialist, you don't know that you're uh, going to get exactly what you want, but you're trusting and empowering some specialists that you believe have the credibility and the proven track record to do it. I don't know, I sort of go, I think there's, there's stuff we could borrow, steal, believe that we are capable of doing. Okay, so here's my problem with that model, okay? Mm. First, accountants and lawyers largely do risk mitigation, mm -hmm. okay? All, most law and most accounting yeah. is about either being compliant yeah. with the laws so you don't get fined or thrown in jail or mitigating the risk of, you know, someone either, um, you know, stealing your IP or something like that. Mm. So it's not directly about value creation. No. And yet... Our earlier conversation only minutes ago mm -hmm. was about how the role of advertising is to create Growth. value. Yeah. So if I was going to pick a model, I wouldn't pick lawyers. I mean, they do 15, and, and accountants, 15-minute increments. It's task-driven. They're already under pressure to offshore it to other markets where, you know, salaries are lower. You know, a lot of mm -hmm. uh, compliance yeah. accounting is getting done out of all sorts of places, yeah. you know. The Philippines, India, you know, anywhere that I can uh, pay a lower dollar cost per hour. If we're about creating value, wouldn't we be better off looking at things like merchant banks or, mm -hmm. um, or uh, um, private equity who are all about return on investment yeah. and sharing in the value that's actually created? Yeah. If you're going to go down that role, because I think as soon as, soon as we say that agencies are like lawyers and accountants, you've pretty much said that it's a qualified professional process that can be measured on an hourly basis. Because here's my question for mm. you. How long, if I give a brief to you, mm -hmm. Priya, how long will it take for the creative team to come up with an, an answer? And remember, I'm paying you by the hour. Um. Well, it takes <laughs> as long as it takes. I suppose... Well, but, the... but I'm paying you by the hour. The answer should be as long as possible, shouldn't it? Because um... to make the most amount of money. And I'll tell you why. The reason I left advertising was that I actually was sitting in a meeting with a client and came up with the idea on the spot. And the account director said, oh, now I can only charge for one hour of your time. Right, if yeah, we had yeah. have left, yeah. we could have spent two or three weeks just refining that idea and going back and I could have charged a fortune. Yes. I don't think it's about creating, you know, you're right, you're right. If you're purely on an hours-based model, you're going to going, um, drag it out for as long as possible, which I don't <laughs> think is really the intention Months. ever. Like, <laughs> I suppose all my, you need then my is good account management. Sorry, but no, all you no. need then is good account management to manage the client's expectation. We'll be back 
next month. I suppose my point is more about a belief or in the value of what creativity can bring. And I suppose when I look at those other industries, it's unquestionable that they can bring some value. And I suppose we don't, I feel sometimes like we don't have that innate sense that what we do is valuable and we don't therefore get remunerated fairly for it. Do I think therefore a purely aerospace model? Maybe that isn't the answer. I suppose the point of comparison is more that's unchallenged for lawyers and consultancies. They get their multiple and off they go. And it's believed that they will do something that has some value at the end of it. Whereas we're coming from a base of like, actually there's a question mark over whether we actually do add value. So maybe you do look at the output. I suppose the output thing though, exactly as you say, is like, how do you measure the impact of brand over five years and what that has, what literally that has contributed to sales. I, I don't know. I don't know how well, you quite track that. So the conversation I have with both agencies and clients comes from a discussion with someone at the Coca-Cola company, mm. which is, um, what do you think are the two most important influences on the sales of Coke? I'd probably go distribution and weather. Exactly right. <laughs> now, you show me the people in the marketing department or the agencies mm. that can actually control those two. No. No one can. No. So there you go, the two biggest influences. So what we have to first realise is that as agencies and as marketers, the best we do is make a contribution yes, to success. Yes, is a weak we can't, force. <laughs> we can't control it because yeah. absolutely no one can control the weather yeah. apart from God. Yeah. You know, so if God's in your marketing team, yeah. you've certainly got a good start. Or we'll be we're building weird shelters <laughs> in the future, I'm sure. Microclimate environments. Exactly. Anyway. <laughs> but, but, you know, so let's stop talking about control mm. and start looking at the contribution that marketing makes mm. and measuring the contribution, which is what I yeah. like about the work of, of uh, Benet and Field, Field, yeah. and Field yeah. because what they're saying is looking at all of these IPA effectiveness award entries, mm. we see trends that happen between when something wasn't done and when something was done. Yeah. And then we look for what are all the possible influences yeah. and then what the difference is can be attributed to. And I think that's a really smart way mm -hmm. for the industry to go forward. Stop trying to find empirical cause and effect because that yep. ends up with our last click attribution and Google and Facebook will just get super rich and yep. we'll all go broke. Yeah. I suppose the challenge I have with all that is how do you build an agency model or a team of people that can service that short-term and long-term need and, and create this quite intangible and hard-to-deliver product of creativity when you don't have a remuneration method that is fixed or permanent. Do you know what I mean? So if you unplug that whole sense of head hours, say, or whatever you calculate retainer on, and you're purely basing it on... ROI, long term or short term, I'm not quite, I don't know how you correlate it back to hiring mm. people, pe keeping people on the ground, building teams that work well together and create this intangible product. So I suppose that's why I always default back to an hours model because I go, that's how you retain, incentivize and get the best people together in a room so that some magic can happen. Um, yeah, look, that is what's <laughs> holding the industry back because, yeah. you know, almost all conversations with agency CFOs 
are about cost recovery. Mm. So when as soon as you say cost recovery as an agency, <clears throat> it means that every single employee is a cost. Yeah. And I have to recover that cost. Yeah. Whereas they're an investment. Yes. Because you've got to invest in those people. 100%. And then you've got to work to to realise the return on that investment. Yeah. Now, even the language, again, that we use as an industry, cost recovery, overhead multiples, profit margins, you know, the industry works on a 2 to 2.5 at the best. Multiple. Multiple. Yeah. And lawyers are working on three, 3.5. Mm -hmm. uh, management consultants are working on four to five times multiples. Mm -hmm. So they can pay people a lot more. Yeah. They have bigger margins to ride the ups and the downs. Yeah. But it's because you don't ever hear them talking about what their multiples are. No. They never get into conversations about the number of hours. Almost all management consultants will have a conversation around either cost reduction or value creation mm. as the starting point of then putting a the fee together. forward. Yeah. yeah. But although that's correlated back to uh, head hours, right? Of course, but so that's all, their business. Yeah. It's not the way they talk to the client. Yes, that's true. They, they that go is... to the CEO, yes, we'll create $50 million in value or we'll give you $20 million in savings. Yeah. Oh, and our fee is only 10% of that. Yes, yes. And it is interesting, isn't it? Because I, I feel like w the advertising industry has been under a microscope from procurement because of that. So I don't think we would choose to go in and report head hours and multiples, but it's been an absolute, you know, terms of engagement. If you would like to be retained on this client, you need to be 100% transparent all the way through your food chain. And I don't know if we're alone in that, actually. Well, because or... you're a commodity. Yeah. And there's, there's no supply. One agency, two agency, three Absolutely. agency, four agency, I can always find someone else to do it, 100%. which completely ignores the fact that the people within that agency have a skill set, a culture and a methodology yes. that the marketer will get Benefit a better from. result working with that agency. It's not about cost. No, absolutely. But that's, I think, the flaw is even marketers don't talk about return on investment. Mm. They talk about their budget, yeah. not their investment level. Yeah. So if I was a procurement yeah. person, I'm sitting there, the CFO said to me, well, I've got all these expenses. Mm then I think procurement is starting to realise, starting to realise that the marketing budget is not a cost. Yes. If it's structured properly and invested properly, it actually does it lead to growth. But that relies yes. on the marketer to actually... Them. Yeah. And, and yeah. to actually commit to. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm. Because agencies ultimately are just one step down the food chain. Yep. Unless you can get up and exactly persuade that you are a growth driver and an agent of bottom line result, I suppose. Um, but yes, yeah, and it's interesting because I think um, it is about how you shift that perception of what value you can add. Mm. Um, and you're right, I suppose we are maybe quite traditional in that you do look at your your expenditure and then you try and marry up with what's coming in, your revenue, and you kind of go, oh, okay, how am I going to make this juggle? How am I going to operate as a business and make it successful? Um, but I think we're all very open to more radical or different kind of methods. Mm. But it's almost, so one of the, you know, 
should you link more to the marketing team's own performance and actually structure the whole relationship around that whereby I know you even work at cost and your goals are aligned with theirs and see what that delivers you. And we have um, done that. Yeah. You know, we, we, we worked with a CMO. He laid out his uh, personal KPIs. Yeah. We, we took out the HR ones because the agency yes. couldn't. But yeah. then we shared that across media, creative, all of the agencies. Mm. And it was and, and everyone got paid for the work they did, mm. but they shared in the extra value created. Yes. And I think, look, you know, you're right. Hours will always be, resources will always be a base cost. Yep. But what we have to do is stop talking about it as being the only part of mm-hmm. the... And, and it should be the way you run your business. Yes. I mean, the you know, internal I, workings. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't go into a Seven Eleven and go and buy something. No. And the the person behind the counter say to me, "Oh, ten percent of that is going towards my salary." Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, I think even um, like. Brands like McDonald's. I, I I don't know if they ask the farmer how much the feed costs yeah. for the cow that they buy. That's right. Um, they just think, "Am I getting value for this meat?" <laughs> uh, not what I want to call our people, but you know, it's the same sort of model of it shouldn't really matter as long as the quality, the output, the deliverable is. And also, what happens if the creative team come up with the idea in half the time mm. or a quarter of the time? Yes. What if the strategist is able to break through, break through the clutter and come up with simplicity? Well, there's loads of examples of that, isn't there? The city, the Citibank logo, which mm. apparently was sketched in the briefing, but obviously has added trillions of incremental value, if you like, mm. uh, as a as a brand logo. You're right. In a time-based model, you'd be you'd be a bit screwed because <laughs> you sort of got it in the in the first five minutes. But it's sort of how do you price something as intangible as that, as the long-term 10-year value of a property uh, for a business, I think is is tricky. And so, you know, we find the best brand design agencies actually sit down and put a project fee forward to yeah. design the logo, to do the livery. They base it on a perceived value of intellectual property. Yeah. But it's often just correlated back to head hours, right? Like, how much is it going to cost me to get this group of people together to develop and deliver this project? As long as they don't reveal that to yeah. the client. Yeah. Because as soon as you say, yes, it's half a million dollars, by the way, that buys you 10,000 hours, then suddenly you go, oh, that seems like a lot of hours. Yes, that's true. It's just half a million dollars <laughs> yes. or $5 million or $50 million. Yeah, there's a price. It's called price-based yeah. funding or fees. And I think it's it's possibly going to be the way agencies will go forward. You won't get every client buying into it, but it's it would certainly be mm. something that would get you over the problem with at the hourly-based model. Yeah. I suppose a lot of our clients, you do start with the deliverable. You start with the desired outcome, which is, I don't know, a piece of communication that's going to make me feel X, Y, Z about Westpac or a piece of communication that's going to convert me to this mortgage product. And I'm going to want 15 of those every year. But then you always somehow, and maybe this is it, it's the levels of transparency or reveal or where you begin and end with that. Um because at the moment, the way you do that is you go, right, here's a list of deliverables and this is the team that you're going to need and how many hours roughly, you know, based on our experience over 25 years, it takes to deliver and execute this. But maybe actually it's the um, 
the back end bit is quantifiable, like a production is quantifiable, but the front end bit is a bit more intangible. I suppose the way we try and do it is just to accommodate enough time. It's about just creating enough time to uh, do the bit that you need to do um, with the right group of people. Uh, but maybe if there was more emphasis on what you've got at the end or how you might remunerate for that. And I think, um, yeah, I, I suppose it's just a belief that what we do has value and that it should be um And what we do does have value. Yeah. We just have to find a way to, to make it. sure we get priced and paid for the value that's actually yes. been created. Yeah. Hey, look, um, this has been a great conversation. Thanks, Priya. No worries. Um, the time's got away from us. One last question. Okay, yep. Is, now, you've worked in London. Mm -hmm. You've worked in Sydney. Mm -hmm. Which is your favourite city?